Well, everyone, season one of 12 Geniuses is in the books. We've recorded 13 episodes and released them. And in order to do a season one recap, I've invited my friend and the second guest of the podcast, Ryan Estes, to join me. He is going to host this episode of 12 Geniuses, and he's going to interview me on who we interviewed and what we learned over the course of those 13 episodes of season one. Ryan, welcome again to 12 Geniuses. Thank you, Don. It's good to be back. And congratulations on season one. It's a wrap. Yes, it is. And uh, a, a wonderful milestone. I'm very happy that we have completed the season and very proud of what we've done. Yeah. How does it feel? It feels great. Good. Absolutely. I've learned a great deal and developed some interesting relationships with some of the guests who I didn't know going into it, into the show. It's been a very humbling experience knowing that these experts in their fields were willing to sit down with me for an hour, 90 minutes and share their stories. Well, I think it's wonderful. I think the podcast is great. And uh, it's a privilege to uh, be the season one recap host and unpack the journey. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to start at the top, maybe even have us take a step back um, to the origin or the inception of 12 Geniuses. Give me give me a little color on why you started this and what it's about. In order to answer that question, why I started the podcast, I have to talk about why I started 12 Geniuses, the company. And our mission is to educate the leaders of today and, and build the leaders of tomorrow. Over the past few years, I've become increasingly concerned about the rapid advancement of technology. And when I say that, I'm talking about technologies like artificial intelligence and robotics, 3D printing, virtual reality, these types of things, and how these advances have the potential of leaving people behind. What I wanted to do is create a platform and an audience that's interested in trends that will shape the next decade. So primarily technology trends, but also trends around societal changes. And that's why we did an episode on legalized cannabis and also trends in retirement and trends in aging. That's, a, that's something that is going to shape the next 30 years pretty dramatically. The world is aging, not just the United States. Actually, the United States is doing much better than a lot of countries in Europe and, and even in Asia. So the audience is really interested in, in these trends, uh, okay. technology trends and societal trends. And was that really the theme of episode or season one of the podcast? Were you focused on trends that are transforming the way we live and work? Not so much trends, but the theme is change. Okay. And change is really, I've spent probably the last three years focused on change. How do you change your organization? How do you change as an individual? And to stay relevant, we are going to have to change. We're going to have to change how we work, with whom we work, the tools we use, the skills that have made us successful. I'm sure when you look back 10 years ago, the tools that you are using then are completely different than the tools that you're using right now. Yeah, and they're probably going to change faster in the next 10 years. Absolutely. Probably we'll see over the next five years the amount of change that we've seen in the past 10. Yeah. And think about what we have seen over the last 10 years just with social media and mobile technologies and how they've transformed the way we live, the way we work, and that's globally. It's not just in the United States. It's, it's all over the world. And so what I wanted to do is just look at change in a very broad sense. So the podcast helps build awareness around the trends that are happening now and the trends that are forthcoming. 
And the hope is that this knowledge will incent people to change before they get passed by. One of the questions I wanted to ask is, do you notice a difference in interviewing somebody that you have a previous relationship with and don't? And maybe you could comment on that and then we could dive into the preparation, how you prepare, because you've had just such a diverse group of guests that are really experts in, in their specific area of endeavors. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I call the show 12 Geniuses, is these are people who are geniuses or experts in their fields. And yes, I would say the first four episodes, people I knew really, really well. I didn't have to prepare that much because I know what questions to ask them. I know their areas of expertise, even though they may not be my areas of expertise, we can have a conversation around these things. And we have had these conversations. But when I started to go outside of people I knew really well, it required an incredible amount of research. And I have somebody on my team, actually two people on my team who help with this research, but I don't want to waste their time. Right and ask silly questions and make myself out to be ignorant about their subject matter. And so I'll spend weeks reading books on it, articles on it, doing research on the individual, what he's doing personally, what he's doing professionally, what she likes, preferences, follow their social media. So that's part of the, the preparation. Well, I, I think the investment you make in preparation and, and due diligence and research on the front end shows in the interviews. Um, you know, certainly as a listener, you know, it's clear to me that you show up prepared. You ask thoughtful questions. You ask challenging questions, which I think gives the audience some insight that maybe even the guest wasn't prepared to talk about. But something else that you've invested in that I think is particularly unique for a podcast host is that you do all of your interviews in person. Talk a little bit about that the rationale behind it and the difference you feel it's made in season one. Yes. So all the episodes have been done in person and there are a few reasons why I've done it. Number one, I have tried and we as a group have tried to really focus on quality and that means audio quality and content quality. And my personal perspective is that the audio quality is going to be far superior when it's in person and we're using high technology, really advanced technology versus doing a, a Skype or a Zoom interview. And I know that there are podcast hosts who can very effectively lead an interview remotely. That's not me yet. And I know that about myself. And so I know that I'm going to have a much better rapport with the guest if we're looking at each other, we're in the same room. And so the focus has been on quality. And those are two two reasons for it. But the third is it really allows us to get higher quality guests. Just recently, I returned from London and Serbia. And I, I interviewed somebody in London. When you say you're going to show you're going to fly from Minneapolis to London for a 60 minute or 90 minute interview, they know you're serious. And so that, those are the reasons why, why we choose to do them in person. So let, let's talk about impact and maybe some of the highlights. What amazed you, astonished you, produced feelings of awe? What were some of the big kind of insights or highlights, favorite moments from the season one? There are a few things that come to mind. The first thing that comes to mind, actually it comes out in episode one with Dr. Robert Eichinger, is that if we're focused on the theme of change, we have to understand that we are not, as human beings, we are not incented to change. Actually, our brains resist change. And that's remarkable. So if you think about throughout human history, 
don't think about the 20th century. Don't think about the 21st century. Maybe even don't think about the 19th century, but the 18th century and before. Change meant danger or death. You go into the jungle, there's a tiger there that wants you for lunch or dinner. That's what it meant. Or you go outside of the tribe and it's danger or death. Biologically, our brain resists change. And if you think about that now in the current context, resistance to change means obsolescence. It doesn't mean death anymore. Having that knowledge that our brain is designed to repel change or resist change then allows us to step back and think about, okay, well, if I don't make this change, what could happen? And then you can override that. And that's what's so important about any of these guests is, you know, our natural tendency is to say, oh, well, global warming, it doesn't exist. Uh, or if we have to change our behavior, what's the risk? It's better to just stay on course. That's ridiculous. So the brain resisting change was was one of the key things. Another key thing really came out in the episode with Giada Aguirre de Carcer, the expert around cannabis. She made the point that in almost every country where there's been dramatic shift around legalization for medical purposes, there was a child involved. So she talked about it in the United States. She talked about it in France, where there was a child whose life was in danger. And the exposure of that and the way that cannabis used for, for medical purposes uh, would help that child really helped people to kind of let down their guard that's been built up over decades and decades. You know, I've, we've seen this since we were young people in the, the 80s and 90s, just this resistance. And so the use of children to help understand how it can be used was fascinating to me. And I would say the third thing is that I really come to the realization that businesses will be much more effective at addressing the problems that we face today than governments will. You know, and that, that's a good segue to my next question. You know, you've spent uh, this past year really studying the future, trends, technology, um, tapping into the expert insight of 13 guests talking about um, the way we live and work and how it's fundamentally changing. Um, coming out of that as the host, are you less optimistic, more optimistic about humanity in the future? Give us your kind of own personal perspective. Yes, uh, certainly more optimistic than ever before. A lot of that is because if you look back over just the two, the past two centuries, let's go back to 1820, 90% of the world was living in poverty. 90% living in, in, and how far are you going back? 200 years. Okay. 200 years, 1820. 90% of the world was living in poverty. Now it's 10%. 10% of the world is living in abject poverty. In fact, about a billion, 300 million people have escaped abject poverty in the last 25 years. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, and if you look at that condensed time, the last 25 years, I mean, we, we really have taken great steps as a world to begin to eradicate poverty globally. I mean, there are still problems. I'm not diminishing that. But when you look at the statistics, that's certainly the trend line. Absolutely. And disease eradication. Sarah Kankari Mitra, who was the guest, we talked about cancer research. I asked her, what does cancer look like in 10 years? Now, she couldn't definitively say, but she said 
she hopes that cancer is a managed disease. So think about that. Managed in the way that diabetes is managed. If you take your medication, if you live the right lifestyle, something else will kill you. It won't be cancer. That's 10 years from now. I mean, she, you have these conversations with people like that and you can't help but be optimistic. And Andrew Winston, when we talked about climate change, he said that he was not all that optimistic that let's say our governments would be able to solve this. But when I think about private businesses and let's say carbon capture technology that would take carbon out of the air, and reduce it, you know, in 30 years, imagine if that technology exists right now. It's very expensive, but in 30 years, how much can the cost come down? How much can we scale the technology that's used for that? So I'm very optimistic. I think back to a technology that we use almost every day, particularly here in Minnesota in the summer, and that's air conditioning. Right. Air conditioning hasn't been around but maybe 100 years. And in about 50 years, it's dramatically changed our country. So I think about the scalability of some of the, the technologies that are going to solve these massive, massive problems. And I am very optimistic. From your perspective, would you say that this is the greatest time in the history of time to be alive? Without a doubt, we're living longer lives. If you think back globally in 1900, life expectancy was 30. And now it's about 75. In the U.S., it's closer to 80. We're eliminating diseases that used to be a death sentence. I talked about cancer. HIV and AIDS is one of those things where it's, in many cases, a managed disease. You take your medication and you can can live live a long, prosperous life. life. We have more free time than we have in decades. In fact, working women have more time with their children than mothers who stayed at home with their children in the 60s. And a lot of that is because of the conveniences and the robots in our home, dishwashers, washing machines, the access to meals being delivered. And, you know, we live in a really, really convenient time, but it doesn't mean that we're all happy that we're living the lives no. that we we want, but this is the best time to be alive than any other time in human history. In terms of audience and where you're focusing, kind of the theme of this year was change. Is it, is it the business community? I mean, because you had a pretty diverse group of guests. Yes, the guests are very diverse. And the audience is growing really quickly, much more quickly than I could have imagined. And a big part of that, the main reason for that is the diversity of the guests, the quality of the guests, and their candor in sharing their stories, sharing their expertise, and helping people understand what the future looks like. The the audience is absolutely business people, business community, primarily leaders. There's a lot of HR professionals. I spent about 20 years working in human resources, so I've been able to carry a bunch of people over from that. But the common thread or characteristic among all of the audience members really is two things. One is that they're curious, and two is that they are continuous learners, and they're very, very interested in the trends that are going to shape the way we live and work over the next decade. The growth is incredible. What kind of feedback are you getting? The The feedback is the episodes initially were too long. And I think the first ones were, were less edited, maybe 45 or 50 minutes. And this guy I've known for a long time, he said, hey, Don, just to, you know, the average commute 
in the United States is 35 to 38 minutes, something like that. I mean, he, he sent this email and I was like, Oh, wow. That's really great to know. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but most people are listening to these podcasts on their commute. So they want to start it and finish it before they get to work. 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And so for the most part, we've cut the interviews so somebody can listen to it from beginning to end during their commute. And the other thing is a lot of people have had guest ideas. And I'm very appreciative of that. Well, let's talk about season two. Or is the theme going to evolve? Is there going to be a different focus in the second season? I think you've got one under your belt and have some great feedback to move it forward. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted the second season's theme to be. I thought about security. I thought about resilience. And I think those are really great topics. But we chose creativity and innovation. I'm very interested in meeting with folks who are inventing the things that are going to contribute to shaping the next decade. And and so that's where we'll focus our attention on season two. Well, you said you have seven confirmed guests? I think it's seven. Yes. Give give us a couple of the, I know everyone's going to get excited about the first guests of season two, because I'm a big fan. Yeah, me too. And I've known him for almost a decade. The first guest is Daniel Pink. He's an author. He is probably best known for writing the book Drive and When. Those, those two books. And I've actually recorded this interview. I sat down with him and we talked about creativity as a, as a topic. And he also wrote a book called A Whole New Mind, which uh, focuses a great deal about left brain, right brain, left brain and right brain thinking. And so we had a great conversation around innovation and creativity. He's our first guest. I was in London recently and I interviewed a, a guy by the name of Max Heinemeyer. And he has a fabulous title. He is a threat hunter. And he works oh, wow. for, he works for a company called Dark Trace. And we talked about innovations in keeping our data and our privacy secure. They have created this artificial intelligence that helps organizations avert hacks. Another guest is Ben Weber. He's CEO of Humanize. And this is an organization is, that is doing very creative things around uh, performance improvement for organizations and understanding data. Brother Ali is one I'm... I'm uh, <laughs> you guy, he said yes. Yes, That's he, great. Said, he okay. said yes. So I know you're a fan. I'm a fan. Uh, my favorite artist of all time, musical artist, is James Brown. And my second favorite is a guy by the name of Brother Ali. And he lives in the Twin Cities. I've been a fan of his for about 10 or 15 years. Kind of followed his career. Through my connections, I, I know some people who know him. And I asked him if he would be on the show to talk about creativity and how he how he writes a song, how he works with his DJ in order to create the song, how he creates shows, how he creates albums, and how we can be more creative. That'll be a great episode. I, I know it's going to be a great season. And in the quiet period, you're doing something else around leadership. You're releasing kind of these micro uh, leadership moments. Why don't you talk a little bit about what leadership moments is and what's coming down with that? What they are is three minute long stories about amazing leaders put in amazing situations where they faced some sort of conflict and what they did or what they learned applies to us as everyday leaders in our organizations. And so we released the first one on D-Day, which was June 6th. It was the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Well, I, I think that's going to be exciting. So what though? So the plan for leadership moments you'll be releasing, is it weekly? We'll it? do these weekly. Okay. We've got 12 of these planned. And they're leaders who are 
known and there are leaders who are obscure. So Teddy Roosevelt Jr., you know, maybe you know him if you're a history buff or World War II buff. We'll do an episode on Martin Luther King Jr., but a very specific episode on him and something that he did that maybe not everybody knows about. We'll do an episode on uh, Clara Lemlich. Probably nobody knows who she is. Yeah, she, in the very early 1900s, she led strikes in the garment industry in New York. And around that time, uh, about 150 mostly women and young girls lost their lives because of a fire in unsafe working conditions. Exit doors were locked. They were just subject to very awful conditions. And Clara, who's 23 years old, she's probably 90 pounds. She's involved in organizing people and striking for better working conditions. conditions. And she did it all through her life until she was in, you know, late, late in her life. She was involved in organization and advocacy and these are the types of episodes that we'll be producing over the course of the summer. That's great. Well, congratulations on an epic season one. A uh, couple closeout questions. What surprised you on, on this journey from start to finish? The biggest surprise to me is just how gracious the guests have been and how active the audience has been. Uh, I'm very humbled at both the willingness and the high quality of the guests that we were able to access. And, you know, we, we scoured across the country. In season one, we didn't leave the country, but we went all over. We went to Denver. We went to San Francisco. We went to Connecticut. We went to D.C. You know, we, we were all over the place. And just the accessibility of of some of the guests was was really humbling. And also, my network was so important in getting a lot of these people And I'm so grateful for that. And the audience engagement, people's willingness to give feedback, to promote it on social media has been phenomenal. And that's that's why it's growing. And those have been very surprising things. It's been very positive in in every way. There's nothing about it that I would change, maybe other than for each episode, there's always one or two questions that I wish I had asked in, in retrospect. But that's that's always going to be the case. Are you having fun with, with this of, chapter? A lot of fun. It's it's really been phenomenal. And you know, we share an office, so we get to see each other on a pretty regular basis. And this is by far the most fun that I'm having. And I've been working for almost thirty years professionally, and this is by far the most fun. Well, it shows in the quality of the work. You know, I'm I'm often fond of saying that that students, lifelong learners, become our best teachers. And I think your approach to the podcast and the platform you're creating is certainly an example of that. Your curiosity uh, is evident and reflected in your commitment um, to both the way you've invested in making this such a professional production, but also you show up to these interviews prepared. And as a guest, I know what that feels like. Um, You know, I'm, I'm actually proud of our episode you went places uh, with the questions that nobody has no other podcast interview has ever taken me and that's been a lot of fun and um i i you know as a listener i'm excited for what you're up to in season two i think it's a great theme and there'll be a, a lot of value so congratulations it's been fun to watch 
um, let's go celebrate with a beer or something. It's like, <laughs> it's like 82 degrees on a Friday afternoon in Minnesota. So we should do something to commemorate absolutely, this. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you for doing this. And for all the people who are, are listening out there, thank you for being a part of this journey. And I hope that we are providing exceptional value for you. So you are prepared for the next decade of life and work. And so you are able to use your influence to to help those people around you, those people who are working in your organizations be prepared as well. Yeah, what an act of service. Thanks, brother. You got it. Thank you. Thank you.